we're going to talk and wrap up the session about heaven today, today and um, talk about things that are very pleasant about heaven. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. And I'm going to put some things out uh, just as a way of summarizing this class and give you a, one more handout as well, too, that I'd like for you to be able to use <clears throat> Uh, for your own reference, but also for those, for others that you can think of that might want it. And you can feel free to copy it as much as you want to as well, too. Um, but let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given to us to just sit quietly and come before you and just rest and hear what your word has to say to us. We thank you for this time. It is a precious time. It is a time where we can be still and know who you are. The word says to be still and know that I am God. And thank you for those kind words. We do want to know more about who you are in our lives right now. With all of the things that are happening and all of the difficulty, we want to be able to stop and reflect upon your goodness and your greatness. Upon your powers of healing but also upon your powers of comfort and helping us to be able to bear whatever comes next. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love that kind of quiet time when you're able to pray and just sit and just let the Lord speak to you. That's very, very important for all of us. Um, can't stress it enough that you just need that time. The daily Bible reading that we do stresses that time to be able to sit and reflect. And I think that that's very important for us to always be able to do. And sometimes God knows what you're thinking. You don't maybe have the words to pray, but he knows where your heart is and he knows what you're going through. Uh, it's a very, very important thing to keep in mind. So we've talked about heaven. There are some a couple of words that came to mind this morning as I was thinking about what heaven is and what it represents. Um, heaven certainly represents the end result of all of what we are experiencing as people. When we die, we certainly desire to go to heaven. We certainly want to see heaven. But some, a couple of other words came to mind as well, too, when I talked about, when I thought about heaven. One of them was a place of rest. It's a rest from your labors. It's a rest from the very life that you have been living. And boy, you know how you feel when you've gone through some sort of a cooking for an event. You know, the event we went to yesterday, uh, it was a graduation party in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. And it was a family event, but there were also a lot of people there that I didn't even know or see, but we saw some family uh, as well. And I would have thought that they had catered that event because there were about 130 people that were at this event. And it was at an outdoor facility uh, in a park there. And my, I found out my aunt, who is not getting any younger, she just got done with cancer treatments, and she's just, you know... She went and cooked all kinds of greens and green beans for about 150 people. Because when I first I started, I was kind of serious. I said, you guys had this catered, right? No, they didn't cater. They brought all this food in and brought in burners. I said, you've got to be kidding me. 
I said, how much work did that take? Do you all have a commercial kitchen or something to do all this? No, they just brought the food from wherever they were. Cooking greens and green beans for 150 people. And my aunt, as sweet as she, she is the most selfless person I can think of. I mean, she just gives of herself and loves the Lord. But I would think that's the last thing I'd be doing is cooking all that food after you just got done with cancer treatments and you've been scuffling because, you know, some of your teeth were basically rotted out from the chemotherapy, so she doesn't have any lower teeth. I mean, I'd I'd feel bad for her about that, but she just went ahead and did it anyway. She just did this. Yeah, with a smile. Yeah, exactly. With a good attitude. And if anybody deserves rest right now, she does. She needs rest. And I did talk to her husband about that, and they planned to do something to try to get, you know, some time of rest and reflection. I said all of that to say that, you know, heaven is a destination as a place of rest for all of us. The rest is from what? Our labors. Our labors are such that we are doing things for Christ, we are serving Christ, and we are doing so in what? A fallen world where there's a lot of stuff that we have to deal with. The great thing about heaven, we already said before, is that sin will not be present in heaven. It's been removed from heaven. Any presence of sin is no longer there. The other thing that comes to mind when I talk about heaven, or when I think about heaven, is that it would be a celebration. It would be a celebration. You're celebrating the fact that, number one, God kept his promise to you to have you in his presence. It's a celebration. And remember what Jesus said at uh, the, uh, the, the last dinner, the last supper. I'm not going to eat of this bread or drink of this wine again until when? Until I'm with you in the kingdom. So that's a promise that it's going to happen in the future. It's a celebration. And most of us certainly love celebrating when we eat. Amen? Akron Alliance Fellowship Church is legendary for food celebrations. We, we are legendary for this. We have a reputation for this. Uh, the reputation may be in our own minds, but we do have a reputation for it. But we do celebrate. It's good to celebrate that way. So a place of rest and a place to celebrate, a place of celebration is what we have to look forward to when it comes to heaven. Now, one thing I'm going to point out here, this is not on your handout, and I'm going to give you a handout once in about a few seconds here, but I want to cover something very quickly about what heaven isn't. And you have to understand that you see a lot of imagery and a lot of things that are drawn over the years. And the note here says, the tiny chubby cherub angels playing their harps in heaven are not what heaven will be like or are like at this present time. Heaven exists today, but humans who are living on earth cannot yet see it, and the pictures that we have seen of it cannot describe it accurately in all its splendor, glory, beauty, and majesty. That's something for us to keep in mind. We can draw all kinds of things. We can look at what Revelation says and draw pictures of it, but they pale in comparison to what heaven is going to really be like. Amen? And we have to believe that because of who? God himself, the creator. He's the one who has created all of this. 
created us for this place to go to. In our own limitations, there's no way we can equate God's majesty in depicting a drawing of what heaven might be like. Those who have died in the faith in Jesus Christ are said to be present with the Lord since the Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne. They are in heaven right now. What this means is that heaven is for real. It does exist. And there are Christians who have died and gone to heaven and are now with Jesus Christ. So we understand that, that once you die, you are with him in heaven. Now we've got to point something out to heaven has different meanings and definitions. There's the present day heaven, but there's also going to be a future representation of heaven as well, too. The new Jerusalem. So what that tells you is that heaven is, while it is a constant, it's going to even change as time goes on. There are actually three heavens described in the Bible. The first heaven is what is called the firmament or sky that covers the earth. This is the realm of birds and clouds that surrounds the entire earth. Now, the best way to compare what a firmament is around the earth is our atmosphere. There's an atmosphere. We have an atmosphere when the, when the space shuttle goes up and leaves the earth, which requires... Millions of pounds of thrust to get us up out of the atmosphere, get them out of the atmosphere and back into space, where there is no air, by the way. You can't breathe in space. You have to have a space-breathing apparatus. You can breathe in our atmosphere. So clearly there's a difference with this firmament. And what happens when a space shuttle has to come back to Earth? They have those heat shields underneath the space shuttle that allows it to enter the atmosphere because of the tremendous heat force that was created because there's a shield that covers the earth. If there were no shield covering the earth, the sun would burn us up or turn us into something of a wasteland. So we have to have this firmament that's covering the earth. It's a very important thing for us to see. So that's actually referenced as a heaven, a firmament. Now, does that mean that people are up at the top of our atmosphere, you know, hovering around as part of heaven? No, that's not what that support, that's, that's not the purpose of that. The purpose of this firmament is to cover and protect the earth. Plain and simple, from solar rays, comets, whatever comes and hits our atmosphere, those things burn up into entry. So we keep that in mind. All right, the second heaven is where the stars, the sun, and the moon reside. This is a space beyond the earth and it covers the entire universe. It is as far as the human eye can see with the help of gigantic telescopes such as the Hubble Space Telescope. Now, understand that that goes beyond our solar system. We have telescopes that can see beyond the solar system where we have all the nine planets. Pluto, there's a debate whether or not Pluto is part of that, but the bottom line is that Pluto is at the outer edge of our solar system. Okay? And we can call it a solar system because we know those nine planets, including the Earth, rotate around the, solar, around the sun, and there's a gravity pull that's taking place. Now, here's a great question. Who do you think set that up to have the sun as being the primary source of heat and light 
for the entire solar system and have all these planets rotating around at a very specific speed and control. Well, there's only one who can do that, and that's God himself. He set it up. So that's the second heaven. And again, I mentioned, I'll, I'll reiterate, we can see beyond the solar system different stars, and we have calculated what they are and given them names, and we can depict and see how even those stars have moved around in this vast solar system. There's nothing that's stationary. Have you ever noticed that? There's nothing stationary within our solar system and beyond. These stars move as we move. The third heaven is unseen and is the residence of God, including Jesus Christ. This is where the dead martyrs and saints are today. This is the location of the throne of God and where the holy angels surrounding his throne sing day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. You can't see it. You can make an argument, and no one would laugh at you much, but, you know, we have these things called black holes. Now, what are black holes? We really don't know what black holes are. We can only guess what black holes are. But these are black holes that are somewhere in this second heaven that, for all we know, may be pathways to this unseen heaven. We don't know. But the bottom line is that you can't see it. But we've got information from Scripture that helps us with this. There are biblical eyewitnesses to heaven. Let's talk about that. Go over to 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter two verse one. There are several people in the Bible. Notice I said several. So we actually have something where we can point to in Scripture about the evidence of heaven. And this is something we didn't cover very much, but I wanted to cover it today to let you know that you can go to certain places and show people in your discussion about heaven what heaven can be like. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Elijah was caught up into heaven, taken up in a whirlwind, and he never tasted death. Let's take a look at verse 1. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now notice how it says the time had come. You and I know that we don't know how much time we have here. But God absolutely knows what that timing is. And at his pleasure, he can alter that time based upon things because we've seen that with the king who lived an additional 15 years because he pleaded for his life and pleaded for God to provide healing. But that still means there is a time and a day and a date and an hour when it takes place. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. 
Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. So not only was it well known by Elijah, other folks knew this was going to happen. How could that be? God gave them the information. Now, you have to admit, this is a rare occurrence. This is not something that happens every day. We don't always get the word ahead of time when someone is leaving. But this is a special, let's call it an event, because that's essentially what it was. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. So not only did it happen in Bethel, now it's happening in Jericho. And understand that these are people who are the prophets, the sons of the prophets, people who are following and listening and hearing what's going on. And the Lord is speaking to them, giving them this very information. Verse 6, Elisha said to him, Stay here, the Lord is sending me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now the Lord knows that Elisha is going to keep doing this. He's going to keep insisting that he remains present with Elijah. So it's being allowed. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood observing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water which parted to the right and left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Did you all remember this? About the river crossing? This is yet another river crossing that takes place. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. So Elisha answered, Please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Elijah replied, you have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. When he could see them, see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes tore them in two, picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle that Elijah had dropped and he struck the water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. He struck the water himself and it parted to the right and left and Elisha crossed over. It's important not to go too fast when you read this. What God is showing here is that he is present in all of this. In communication, in showing himself, showing his power. Not the power of Elijah or Elisha parting that water. That's God doing that. And there are witnesses to what happened. There's nothing like eyewitness testimony that helps to certainly bolster your faith, knowing full well that, yes, there is a heaven, but here's Elijah being carried up to into heaven by chariots. 
So we have that as evidence of God's presence and evidence of a heaven. Like Elijah, Enoch, who was said to have walked with God, was taken up into heaven without ever tasting death. The Apostle John saw heaven through an open door so he might see and record the book of Revelation, some of the things he saw in heaven, and that's in Revelation 4.1. Go to Revelation 4.1 real quick. We won't read all of it. We'll just read the first verse. But look what it says. After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. So there are doors. <laughs> There's a door. There's an open door. The first voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, A trumpet. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Then verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounding the throne. Now if you go too fast, you're going to see a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounding the throne. When we look at rainbows, what do we know as, and see as rainbows today? They're multicolored, right? Well, here's a rainbow that actually has the description of being like an emerald. Well, emeralds are generally green. So are we talking about different shades of green as this rainbow? You understand how I'm saying it doesn't do justice to try to draw pictures of this because it's not going to look like anything like what we would be seeing. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? The seven spirits of God. Now, I don't have a concordance here, and I don't know if that's even mentioned, but what does that mean? It's something that's so far beyond where we are as far as understanding. There is so much more to see in heaven. There is so much more to be revealed to us. I mean, is this something like what Elijah was talking about? Elisha was talking about? Give a, a couple of measures of your spirit? We don't know for sure. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now understand something. He's describing it based upon what he thinks it looks like. Coming as close as possible to what it is because it's not anything that he's really ever seen. It looked like an ox. It looked, it was like a lion. And that's because with our language, we have limitations sometimes. But it certainly does make it intriguing. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 
Lord God, all the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. What did we say earlier? There are going to be creatures in heaven. They're going to be constantly saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's going to be part of the environment. While Paul was on the Damascus Road on his way to persecute Christians, he saw heaven open up, whether, but whether this was heaven itself or just the first heaven where he saw the light, we cannot be sure. Go to Acts chapter 9. Well, let's just start with verse 1. Acts chapter 9. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, in other words, that would be the following of Jesus Christ, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Now it says a light from heaven. We don't know, again, which heaven they're referring to, but that's not really important. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. Now notice how Saul said, who are you, Lord? He knows good and doggone well who that was. That wasn't just some dude who walked up out of the clouds. I am Jesus. Because you have to understand something. When Jesus Christ is speaking directly to you, you know who it is. You know. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to have a discerning spirit. Because some people hear voices, but they're not voices of Jesus Christ. But you know when Christ is speaking to you, because Christ is the one who is over all. Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Because that's one interesting thing about these stories as we read them. There's witnesses to what's going on. And if you're one of the witnesses there, you're like... What's happening? What's going on? Why is Saul on the ground? He can hear what's going on. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. Now, why is it that Saul could see nothing? What do you think he was looking at? Remember, Jesus, he saw Jesus, heard Jesus' voice. There was this bright light. But yet there he couldn't see after that. Something to keep in mind. That was Saul's experience. He had to experience that himself. And yet the evidence was there. The men were helping him along because he couldn't see. Well, he was walking on his own just fine before that. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat and drink. And then it goes on from there. So that's another evidence of an eyewitness for heaven. Okay. 
You may have read or heard about many who have died and seen heaven for themselves. They describe such a realm that is beyond description. We're talking about those people who had had these death experiences. And they had seen something. And it was actually a, a, it was a temporary, whatever you want to call it, a visit or a glimpse of heaven. And yet they were revived and they are still here on earth today. But it certainly changed their perspective. You can't help but think sometimes that God even allows a person to see a glimpse of something and what they could be missing out on if they don't get themselves together. Now that's strictly editorial commentary, but it is something to keep in mind. <clears throat> we have stories of people who have had death experiences, near-death experiences, and live to tell about what they've seen. There are so many people who have, it's difficult even to get to the sheer number of those who have seen heaven and come back from it. You can't refute it, but only know this for, they themselves know this for certain. But the Bible does describe some of what heaven is like in the scriptures. It is from the human standpoint, indescribable. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This verse encapsulates everything we think we know and understand about heaven. And I love how it's, in my Bible, it's actually italicized in part of it. But as it is written, it says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Heaven is for us who love Jesus Christ. Period. Created for us. Just as the animals of the earth and the plants and the things that we join in the earth were created for our pleasure, heaven is the ultimate reward also for our pleasure as well too, created for those who love Christ. Those who love Christ have residence, residences waiting for us in heaven. Amen. Big time. There is a constant chant of holy angels that are continually proclaiming holy, holy, holy over the throne of God. The mercy seat in heaven where God sits is surrounded by magnificent angels full of glory and power that proclaim and bless the holy name of God without ceasing. Some of these are described as beasts full of eyes with six wings, neither rest day or night, and they're proclaiming the holiness of God. That's what we read in Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. After, now, this is what I said about the change of heaven that's coming. After the kingdom of heaven begins on earth, after Christ's return, the new Jerusalem descends out of heaven, and heaven in the new Jerusalem will then be on earth. That's going to be some kind of sight. Don't you think? The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, 
Well, let's just have fun with this. Out of that black hole, wherever it is in the solar system, it's going to come down out of that black hole and reside on Earth. Whatever it is. But that's what we have to, we have to see and understand. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 describes this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The very tabernacle of God will be with humans then and heaven is like is any place where God is. That's Revelation 21, 3. All pain, suffering, and tears will be absent. So that's what we need to see about what heaven is all about. And John, let's go to Revelation 21. Let's encapsulate this because I don't know if we spent a lot of time with this before, but we're kind of summarizing everything today in the study. Revelation 21, where John was carried away to heaven... And here's the best description of heaven that we know of. Revelation 21 starts at verse 10. Revelation 21:10 is where it begins. I may give you guys more than one of these too. Would you help pass those out? Thanks. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Arrayed with God's glory, her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with twelve gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. The one who spoke with me had a golden, a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Amen. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, enter it 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what I gave you as a handout can be used as a reference for those who you're sharing with. And let's go over it real quick. How can I be sure I am going to heaven? This is the most important question of all. Here's a wonderful truth. God has made it easy for you to go to heaven. He did the hard part when he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He paid the price for your sins so that you could one day stand before God in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I make a personal reference? I love John 3, 16 and 17, but John 14, 6 is also very important. It's a very important verse to share. In this world of confusion where everybody thinks there might be multiple ways to get to the Lord, they need to understand that there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He also said, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. John 10, 9. Jesus is not only the way to heaven, he is also the door to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to go through the door marked Jesus Christ. There is no other entrance. That's true. There's no other way to go. Suppose you were to die and found yourself standing at the door of heaven. If God were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what answer would you give? Now understand, this is a hypothetical. This is not how it's going to work. It's all determined before you close your eyes for the last time. Okay, But he's giving a hypothetical for those people who don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is a hypothetical that people should be able to ask an answer now, before it's too late. Picture the scene. You're standing at the very gates of heaven. It's more beautiful than you ever dreamed possible. This is where you want to spend eternity. This is where you belong. But before you enter, the Lord himself asks, what reason can you give to be granted admission? You pause, knowing that all eternity hangs on your answer. What will you say? Let me make this very personal. If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? I've already said that this is too important to say, I think so, or I hope so. If you're wrong, you're going to be wrong for a long, long time. And that's not the kind of wrong I want to be. Amen? What we need is solid ground on which to stand. And we have it in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our entire hope of heaven is wrapped up in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose from the dead. One of our most beloved hymns puts it this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And you all know that hymn. That's one of those hymns that you grow up with. You heard that, that hymn. That says it all. If you want to go to heaven, you must base your hope on the solid rock of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Are you standing on the rock this morning? Are you wholly leaning on Jesus' name? No one goes to heaven by accident. It's 
it doesn't happen by accident. Oops, excuse me. Well, I guess you get in. Really? Doesn't work that way. Heaven is God's prepared place for prepared people. I like that. Heaven is God's prepared place for prepared people. You can't just go through life in a happenstance manner and think that that's going to be sufficient for you to get somewhere. You're not prepared for anything. We prepare for heaven and then God prepares heaven for us. I've already told you that most people believe in heaven and most people think they are going there. But are they on the right road? Are they building their lives on Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Too many, I fear, are standing on sinking stand and do not know it. What is your hope for heaven? Mine is Jesus Christ. I've staked everything I have on him. If he can't take me to heaven, then I'm not going there. What about you? When the dark night falls, the lights go out and the waters of death swirl around you, what will happen to you then? If you know Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Put your trust in Jesus. Run to the cross. Stand with your full weight on the solid rock of our salvation. May God help you to trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. And may God grant that we will all one day meet in heaven. Meet one day in heaven. Safe at home. In heaven at last. I'll be there. What about you? And understand something. It's not really mentioned here, but just like we talked about earlier, we have a set day and time and hour that God knows when we're going to be leaving here. That clock is ticking for all of us, but we don't know how much time we got. Those poor people who died in that boat accident in Missouri, I guarantee you, they didn't wake up that day knowing they were going to live their last breath that day. They didn't know that was going to happen. That's why when you're having a conversation discipling people about it, you're going to want to emphasize not to scare somebody, but to just take and tell them reality. Use an example. Use an example like I just used for you. You don't know how much time you have. You don't want to put off a decision that can affect your eternity. You just don't know. Things can happen very quickly. You said that yesterday. We were traveling and things can happen very quickly. You just don't know. Oh, because somebody almost hit us. You know, we, we were driving back from Pennsylvania and some guy who I think worked at the Turnpike Commission literally just blew by and almost tried to take my, my door off on the right-hand side just to get to a toll booth ahead of us. So the Lord is good. The car is still here and we're still here. Um, but those things can happen very quickly. You just don't know. It's really important when we have conversations with people about heaven. It's a wonderful place. Why would you want to take a chance and miss it? Why would you want to risk that? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. But to me, the firmament 
You can argue that because of what? The very fact that we're in this solar system is being referred to this, this whole area. Yeah. Yep. Do he, I mean, what do he see? This earth is not sitting on nothing solid. He sees the earth. It's out in the firmament. Yeah. And the reason I say that because Genesis said that God made heaven and earth, and he said he called it the firmament. Yeah. That's what the scripture says. That's right. So really, to me, heaven is everywhere. You can't escape from heaven. But, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to... There's three heavens. I know what you're saying. We're in the first heaven, mm -hmm. or below the first heaven. Yep. It's, 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 it's very, how can I say, baffling, trouble-minded for this earth to be up there, mm -hmm. just hanging on nothing, mm -hmm. and we on this planet, but we ain't moving. Okay. But the earth spins. Yep. It's, it's just mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. The more you think about it, it's profound. The very creation. One other thing about the flood. Remember, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, but God also caused what? Waters to come up from out of the earth. Because I guarantee you, if it rains 40 days and 40 nights, you're not going to have a flooded earth. Something else has to happen for that to occur. He allowed waters to come up from, out in, from inside the earth as part of that the whole process of destroying everything. And only he can do that. The thing that we have to always keep in mind, too, about the earth we live in, yes, at one point it was created in perfection. But what tarnished the perfection? Sin. That's why we have, even though we are in this heaven, as mentioned, it's a, it's a flawed heaven. It's not the final destination for us. There's going to come an end to this here because of the sin nature. It's not going to stand because it won't be in the same place where God resides. So there has to be a change to what we understand about earth here today compared to what it will be in the future. Remember what it says about the new Jerusalem? No sin will enter this place. It is profound. I'm, Johnny, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it should give you pause to understand the wonder of this creation. And yes, there are three heavens and one we can't see. But we can see the two of them. Shoot, when you go outside, you can see the skies and the clouds. That's all part of that. Okay. I'm going to have, I have many more of these, and I'll leave these in the back of the church just to pick up whenever you want, um, because these are some things that you can share with others when you're discipling them about heaven and what they have to look forward to. And isn't it reassuring about what we look forward to? Because scripture supports what we've just talked about and gives us examples to look at. So keep that in mind. Amen? Any questions at all? We're moving to a new study next week that's going to talk about seeing God or knowing that God is present even though you can't feel him or experience him. Um, we have a friend who just got done saying, I've been praying to the Lord about getting out of this dry spell. 
And supposedly that dry spell is coming, coming loose for that person. But we all have moments where we just want to see God and experience Him when there's a lot of things that are going on. So this study will be covering that. So I hope that you'll join us for that as we move into a new study next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to just look to your word about how you reassure us of your presence in the future. We thank you, Lord, for the promises you give to us about a new heaven and a new earth. Something to look forward to. A place of rest and a place where we can celebrate. Celebrate your very presence. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for helping us with the words when we are discipling others as well, too, about what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Help us to remain prayerful, that everything is conveyed through the Holy Spirit, and that you, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will touch the life of that individual that we're speaking to, that they will make a decision to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for this, and we pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.